0: We want to make those more than just words. We want that to be who we are what you find here. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your amazing gifts to us, including this family. And we probably, we just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to to build here the kind of family that you want us to be, the kind of family the world needs us to be. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Okay. Anybody in the room or maybe watching online who grew up in a dysfunctional family? <laughs> yeah. Don't look at your family that's sitting next to you when you say that, but yeah, okay. It's kind of normal, isn't it? Maybe you wouldn't use the word dysfunctional. Any of you guys have a, a father or mother or maybe a brother, sister, kid, a cousin, or maybe an in-law who's just weird? Any of that? And by the way, if you can't raise your hand, you're probably the one, right? I mean, you hear something they said or did, and you're kind of like, oh, gee, again? Sounds like him. Because here's the deal. You get to pick your friends. You don't get to pick your family. It's kind of the way it is with the church. You get to pick your friends. You don't get to pick your family. See, when you accept God as your father, as your dad, you get us as your family. Good luck with that, right? You can't have him as your dad without having us as your brothers and sisters. We have a great dad. He's pretty easy to love. Your brothers and sisters, every single one of us sins a lot, so we can be hard to get along with, and some of us are just flat out weird, ornery, and quite unlovable, Bottom line, he didn't mean for us to do this thing alone. You were not designed by God to do this thing alone. The Apostle Paul calls the church, the assembly of Jesus followers, the body of Christ. With Jesus as the head, we're body parts is kind of the way he describes it. Paul says the human body has a lot of parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. No kidding, right? Right? He says, so it is with the body of Christ. So it is with us, which means if the foot were to say to hand, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that'd be stupid, right? Wouldn't keep it from being part of the body. Means the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, that'd be stupid. Head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And he says it's exactly the same way with the body of Christ. Christ. Us, the family of God. We were not meant to do this thing alone. We were not designed to do this thing alone. None of us are smart enough, good enough, strong enough, gifted enough, or faithful enough to do this thing alone. So, this is what Paul concludes, and this is huge. It is really, really big. That means there should be no division. There should be no division in the body. That means its parts should have equal concern for each other, should care about each other as much as they care about themselves. Because if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't you love to be a part of something like this? That's what we're supposed to be. That's what God means for us to be. You see, Capital City is not about a building. It's not about the staff who are employed here, it's this weird cluster, this strange gathering of Jesus followers, people who you'd think would have no business hanging together, working together, doing life together. We're an ecclesia of God. We're a called out assembly of Jesus followers. We're on a mission from God together to drag each other to heaven and to drag as many with us as we can, right? Sometimes you'll hear a conversation like this. Do you have a church? Do you have a church family? Church home? And they'll say something like, Well, I'm a member at Capital City or Forks or Buck Run or Good Shepherd or some other church building. And sometimes those who say that haven't been to church in months, maybe years. They're not doing life together. They're not dragging each other to heaven. They're not dragging as many with them as they can. Is it enough to have your name on a membership roll? The proper answer is no, not. On the other hand, there are people who do life with us here at Capital City who haven't officially joined Capital City, but they still worship with us, connect with us, serve with us. Guys, they are Capital City. We think they are. He thinks they are. I hope you do. See, we're wrapped up in a little series. We're just wrapping it up this morning, actually, on the church because we're in a rebuild mode. Every church in America, I suspect right now, is either in or needs to be in a rebuild mode. We started out our rebuild in September and October talking about Jesus because that's who it's all about in november we started talking about the church because the church was god's idea it was god's way of taking jesus into the world we talked about the day the church was launched the big day we talked about the big prayers of the church the prayers to be bold no matter what the situation The big target of the church, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, there's no one that we're not after that Jesus doesn't want in to his church family. We talked about the big drift last week about how every church tends to to veer off mission to become more concerned about those inside than those outside. And this morning, we're gonna wrap it up by talking about big opportunities, one of the biggest challenges and opportunities the church has, that church faces in this weird, weird time that we're living in. See, for the very first time in this church's history, in a whole lot of churches' histories, we can't assemble together normally like we've always assembled before. We started out the year on fire, January, February. We averaged nearly 900 people in person every Sunday morning. We're about half that now. Many of the other half are connecting with us online. That is cool. More than ever before. Now, we've live-streamed our worship for a long time here at Capital City, but for the first time, it's the primary way to connect with Capital City for a significant part of our church family. That's new. We've been accused of sending out mixed messages. You see, we encourage people to, to join us here in person when they can, if they can. And we encourage people to join and connect with us online. Are they equal alternatives? We've also said if you're going to connect with us online, if that's how you need to do it now, it'd be better to do it as a family or even to have some friends cluster with you. You know why? Because we weren't made to go this, this thing alone. We need more than a digital connection with each other. I'm going to try to show you why practically, and I'm going to try to show you why scripturally. You see, what this is about is not protecting an institution. It's not keeping a building going. It's not about ego or money or any other self absorbed nonsense like that. It's about doing the very best job we can, dragging each other to heaven. That's big. And the very best job we can, dragging as many with us as we can. And there's nothing more important than that. Now, here's what's happening. Not just at Capital City, it's happening to churches all over our state, all over our country, all over the world right now. The pandemic is driving us apart. It's driving us apart. It has driven us apart physically. And as it has driven us apart physically, it is driving us apart relationally and spiritually. It doesn't have to, but it has. And we're going to fight it because we need a healthy church. Our world needs a healthy church. We need Capital City to be a healthy, God-honoring church. It's been nine months now, nine months, and we've had to scale back on most all of the things that churches used to do normally to be healthy. Our Worship scaled back, kids programs scaled way back, adult Bible fellowship classes for the most part on pause, Wednesday nights, they're continuing, but they're scaled back. Our life groups, some of our groups are still meeting. Some are, are experimenting with different kinds of connections. Some are on pause. We actually had nine major outreach events scheduled for 2020. We've had to cancel most of them. Now, we've still been busy. We've been working hard, hard as we can. We still do our best to offer a powerful worship experience every single week, whether in person or online. We've offered online classes on Wednesday evenings and pushed a variety of online spiritual growth opportunities through our Right Now Media, which every single person in our family has access to. Our next gen team has been very creative, engaging our kids. We're still baptizing people, guys, and that is so cool. We've tried to serve our community in a variety of creative ways. We passed out sack meals three nights a week for several months. Backpack snacks for the high-risk kids at some of our schools. We created a virtual learning center when our schools had to go online. We have church family checking up on other church family, taking care of each other. We've made our online worship available to our local jail. We're exploring going beyond to other jails. This last week, we supplied Thanksgiving meals to several dozen families that needed it in our community. We've been restocking the community food pantry. We're wrapping that up this week. That's all great stuff. It is. But we've scaled back. so many of the things that we've traditionally done to build healthy Christians, to be a healthy church family. So it has become harder, harder for our family to stay connected and harder for our family to stay engaged as healthy, growing Jesus followers. Whether you're still connecting here in person or whether you're connecting online, it's become harder. And the stats bear it out. Now, some of you guys are not numbers people, and so if you're not a numbers person, I'm giving you permission for the next few minutes to zone out. You can just go away in your minds. Don't leave the room. But I'll let you know when you can come back, okay? If you are a numbers person, I want to show you why we are so driven, Listen guys, church is not something you watch, it's something you are, it's something you do. We worship, we connect, we grow, and we serve. We've scaled all those back so it's harder, and as many of our family have connected and disengaged with each other, we've also seen a measurable disconnection and a disengagement from God. God that's terrifying there's a group called the barna group and they study what's happening in the church and they've been doing a lot of research on what's taking place in the churches right now they just recently published a report it's called six questions about the future of the hybrid church experience we're a hybrid church now guys we are both online and we're in person well how are we doing and where's it taking us as a church what's it doing to our people some of what they discovered in this report is scary to me. They tell us that the pandemic has significantly impacted the sense of connectedness people have with their churches. These disconnected people have in turn backed away from the church. No kidding. We've seen that. They tell us this. Eight in ten church adults say it's very important to them to worship God in person alongside others, Right? That's really, really important for folks, even though it's difficult for us to do that right now. Let's go, look, go to the next slide. They tell us that one in five churchgoers have never attended a service in person or digitally since March. That's absolutely incredible. 20% of our people have just simply disconnected. Here's another one that scares me. of the church adults, people who have been in church beforehand, who are worshiping with us online, have engaged in nothing other than worship during the pandemic. Guys, a healthy spiritual life requires worship and connection and service and growth, and it's harder to do now, that vibrant spiritual life with God. And here's another one that's kind of terrifying to me. Did you know that those who were churched before the pandemic, you already were in church, you have more digital openness, you're more open to what the church is doing online than those who we're trying to reach, which means that the people that we're trying to drag with us to heaven are not as open to a digital experience. How are we gonna reach them? How are we gonna drag them with us? Enough of the numbers. So if you guys zoned out for a little bit, welcome back. Here's the deal. We need each other. We were made to do this together. We weren't designed to do this thing alone. Think of these illustrations. How many of you guys had to kind of alter your Thanksgiving plans a little bit this last week? You didn't get together in the same way that you have in the past. Maybe you scaled it way back. Maybe for good reason. Did you miss them? So I hope that what you did this year, what you had to do this year, does not become your new normal. How about this? your grandparents? How do you like grandparenting on Facebook and FaceTime? And that stuff helps, doesn't it? But do you miss the hug? Do you miss the presence? Of course you do. How about your parents? How would you like to do your parenting on FaceTime or Facebook? That's a bad illustration. A lot of you guys are already doing it or you're, you'd like to give it a shot, right? We're not gonna try that one. If you have close friends, is it enough simply to FaceTime and Facebook? Do you still want to get together to go shopping, to go hunting, to go to a game, or to just chill? Of course you do. You know why? Because that's how God built us. That's how God designed us. That's what God planted in us. We need connection. We need touch. We need presence. We need each other. Study it out, guys. People are hurting right now because of the isolation. One of our staff members came in this morning. They just had read an article talking about the number of people that are psychologically struggling right now because of the isolation, a struggle that's not going to be easily fixed. We are starved for intimacy. And listen, guys, the church this weird, weird gathering of Jesus' followers is part of God's solution. That's how he built it. I'll show you. I'll show you right now. Every once in a while, we talk about the one another verses in the New Testament. These are huge. In Greek, it's the word alelon, kind of pronounced alelon, which is kind of weird because in English, it almost sounds like all alone. In Greek, it means one another. The very opposite. This word, one another, this single word in Greek, occurs a hundred times in the New Testament. Ninety-one different verses. That's a lot. This is a big theme in the New Testament. Fifty-one times of those, it gives instructions on how to treat one another, how to do life with one another. These are not suggestions. This is what doing life with God, God's way, with God's people, God's way looks like. This is what our God wants from us, these one another's. Now, if you wanted, you could almost track every single one of these one another's back to a single phrase spoken by Jesus. It's the heart of it. And right before Jesus goes to the cross, he gives his final instructions to the disciples. And he says this. He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, it doesn't sound new. Okay, it's going to sound old. But the way I'm going to say it, Jesus said this is new. I want you to love one another. I don't just want you to love one another. I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you, with my kind of love for you. That's how I want you to love one another. And your love for one another will prove, that's what's going to prove to the world, that you're my disciples. In other words, if you actually do it, you're going to drag others to heaven with you. And if you don't do it, you're going to push them away from me. Now, I want to look at three pieces of this very, very quickly. Piece number one if you're going to love one another, you're going to have to take the focus off of yourself, right? Loving one another requires taking the focus off of yourself. Now, I know we start out as Jesus followers thinking about ourselves. I want that peace with God, that forgiveness, that grace. Great stuff like that. But as soon as you become a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit tries to nudge you so that your brothers and sisters become as important to you as yourself. This one another requires taking the focus off of yourself. It's not about me. Peace two. It says, in the same way that I have loved you, my kind of love, not the kind of shallow, fickle, conditional kind of love that you've got, of my kind of love, unconditional, unreserved, tenacious. That's the way that I want you to love each other. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't love you the way that you love each other? With a shallow, fickle, fragile kind of love? What would it be like if we actually loved each other the way that he loves us? Unconditionally, unreservedly, tenaciously. What would it look like if we tried doing it that way? How powerful would it be? How healing would it be? Compelling to those who look at us. Piece three. I know, guys, that we're supposed to love people outside these walls like that. But it starts at home. When he's talking about one another in this verse, he's talking about the people in this room. He's talking about your family. He's talking about other Jesus followers. It starts at home, right here, right now. And he says, this is is how it's going to prove to the people out there that you are His followers, His disciples. Now, what's that look like practically? What's that mean for every day? Well, that's kind of what all the other one another verses are all about. They just kind of spell out how this thing works, what it looks like. And once again, these are not suggestions. If you're not a Jesus follower, if you want, you can blow them off. Probably shouldn't, because they do make life way better. But if you are a Jesus follower, these are not just suggestions or recommendations. These are mandates. This is what we are, this is what we do. Now Randy, my preaching partner, was digging around last week on the internet and he found this guy who organized these one another verses around three big themes. I thought they were pretty good. I think they work. He says that 15% of these one another verses deal with humility. Humility, be humble. Be humble with one another. Not about me. If you're a Jesus follower, it's not about me. These are powerful verses. Right before Jesus dies, he washes the disciples' feet. How humbling is that? And then he says, I, your Lord and your teacher, I've just washed your feet. I want you now to wash each other's feet. He says, I've set an example for you so that you'll You'll do exactly what I've done for you. Now, he's not talking about that literally, which is why when you entered this morning, we didn't give you a towel and a basin of water and tell people to take off their shoes, right? He's saying, I want you to serve each other. I want you to love on and serve each other. And the Apostle Paul, he spells it out like this. He says, I want you to honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Another translation says, be eager to respect one another. How amazing would that be? What if both face-to-face and online we tried to live this thing out where we honored one another above ourselves and we were eager to respect each other? I mean, requires humility, doesn't it? Or look at this one. He says, serve one another humbly in love. Don't just serve each other. Serve one another with humility in love. Or this one, this next one is really, really powerful. He says, submit yourself, submit to one another. Not because your one another is so easy to submit to, but because you revere Christ. You're a Jesus follower, right? That requires some humility. Or this one, Paul says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or a cheap desire to boast. But be humble towards one another. Always consider others better than yourselves. Amazing stuff. And there are other of these, but you get the idea. That's the big idea. One another, big idea number one. Be humble with one another. Serve one another. Honor one another. Respect one another. How are you doing with your humility towards your brothers and sisters? How are you doing respecting and honoring each other with love. Here's the second big grouping. Get along with each other. Get along with one another. Unity, harmony, peace. It's a mandate. One-third of the one another verses talk about getting along with one another. It's huge. I mean, listen to these commands. Jesus says, I want you to live in peace with one another. Are you doing it? I want you to live in peace with one another in your families, in your church family. I want you to live in peace with one another. Guys, just do it. Apostle Paul says, I want you to live in harmony with one another. Another translation says, I want you to get along. I want you to get along with one another. Guys, you see this violated every day, don't you? You see this violated nearly every day in person, or at least you used to. You see it violated every single day if you're on the social media. That counts too. Get along with one another. Here's another one. Accept one another. And it's not just that, not just accepting one another, but I want you to accept one another. He says, just as Christ accepted you. And that'll bring praise to God. That'd be mind-blowing. Look at this one. (laughs) Don't provoke one another. Really, that's what it says. Quit provoking one another. Some of us are professional provocateurs, aren't we? Don't provoke one another, he says, or be jealous of one another. One translation says don't irritate one another. When we irritate one another, we emasculate God's church. These next two are gentler, but I think they're absolutely critical to unity. Be patient with one another and make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. How cool would that be if we showed grace and magnanimity towards the microaggressions? And what if there's a macroaggression, a big one? Paul says, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, and forgive. Forgive one another in the same way that Christ has forgiven you do it his way one another big idea number one be humble serve honor respect one another big idea number two get along with one another unity harmony peace and if you're humble maybe you can be unified right oh, here's the third one. Third big one about one third of the one another verses bear this one out Love one another. That's all it says. Just love one another. Over and over and over again, it says love one another. In fact, it was one of the last things that Jesus told the disciples right before going to the cross. He says, my command, my command. This is not a recommendation. This is a command. I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. And if you track down through his disciples, the guys who wrote the New Testament, they kept on echoing this advice. Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, be under obligation to no one. The only obligation you have to people around you is to love one another. I love the way that it's translated in this one. Let no debt remain outstanding. Pay your debts. except the continuing debt, which you'll never completely repay, to love one another. We're gonna spend eternity paying on that debt. How cool is that? Apostle Peter He says, I want you to show a sincere love to one another as brothers and sisters. I want you to love one another deeply, sincerely, deeply from the heart. This is not that shallow, fickle, conditional kind of love that we oftentimes show each other. Apostle John, he says, let's continue to love one another because love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, which means if you don't love each other, you don't know him. You don't understand him. Stuff is that big. Now, there's more of these one another verses, a whole lot more, but you get the idea. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Doesn't sound new. It's not a proposal, not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation. I'm giving you a new commandment because of the way you're supposed to carry it out. I want you to love all alone one another. Just as I have loved you, in the same way that I've loved you, with the kind of love that I have loved you, I want you to love all lay alone, one another. Because your love for all alone, for one another, will prove to the world that you're Jesus followers, and you'll have a shot at dragging them with you to heaven. Can you imagine the difference that this would make in a church family if we actually tried doing it, not just looking at it and saying, yeah, that's right. We actually did it. Be humble with one another. Get along with one another. Love one another. Can you imagine the impact it would have on the people who are watching us, the people who are not Jesus followers yet, if we tried living this out? Humble and getting along with and loving one another. I know it's kind of dark in this room. I know some of you guys are connecting online, so you can't do a lot of that. but. Look around at the people next to you. Not at me. Look at some of the people around you. You see people that you know, some that you don't. You see people that you like and some that you don't. You see some people who like you and some that don't. This is your family. Be humble towards one another. Get along with one another. Love one another. Guys, if the church were just a building, if the church were just an institution, the breaking these rules wouldn't matter. Maintenance can fix a ding in a building. Threw a few bucks at it, a few man hours, it's as good as new. The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ, and when body parts don't get along, the church is crippled. The church is called the bride of Christ, and when a bride acts out inappropriately, The groom's name gets sullied. This stuff matters. We're in this together, and that's cool. We weren't meant to do this thing alone. We weren't designed to do this thing alone. But it's not just about doing life together. It's about how we do life together. Are we doing it his way? And I'm telling you guys, his way will make life a whole lot better and it'll make us a whole lot better at life. Do you believe that? Are you in? Willing to give it a shot? Not just say, yeah, I understand. It's what the Bible says. It's what he wants me to do. You Willing to try it? To actually make it work? If you're not a Jesus follower yet, you don't have to, but you know, you can become a Jesus follower today. You can make him the king of your life, and I think that's where life starts, not just in this world, but for an eternity. You need to be a Jesus follower. You want to make that decision today? I'm going to hang around down here during the next part of this service, during the Lord's Supper, and I'll hang out right here after the service. I'd love to talk to you. If you are a Jesus follower, let's let God's Spirit convict us, and let's let God's Spirit transform us. We're going to move in just a moment To a time of the Lord's Supper. But here's a deal about the Lord's Supper. Right now, we are a disconnected church. And in a time of disconnection, the Lord's Supper becomes extra important. I'm going to show you why. Did you know that just this last week, we had a couple that had moved away from Frankfurt looking for a church, struggling to find a church, and they asked if they could be a part of our church family watch their story hey everybody logan here i'm one of the elders at K-